0: Welcome back, everyone, to the third episode of the Adolescent Contraception
1: Series from FIGO. At FIGO, the International Federation of Gynecology and Obstetrics, our vision is that women of the world achieve the highest possible standards of physical, mental, reproductive, and sexual health and well being throughout their lives. As we strive towards this vision, we're developing a digital platform to improve partner engagement and to expand collaborations, which will ensure we have the right support for success. We present our new podcast series from the Committee on Contraception to help Vigo member societies with modern and novel educational tools on key aspects of sexual reproductive health. We are pleased to be joined by the creators of Creogs Over Coffee, the number one resident education podcast in obstetrics and gynecology in the United States. With me today are Drs. Faye Kai and Nicholas Burns. Dr. Kai is a third-year Maternal Fetal Medicine Fellow at the University of Pennsylvania. And Dr. Burns is a third-year Maternal Fetal Medicine Fellow at the University of Washington.
2: Right. Welcome back, everybody. Our first set of podcasts in this series were geared towards the topic of adolescent contraception. And in those last two episodes of the series, we discussed adolescent pregnancy as a public health issue and the practical implications for use of contraception in the adolescent population. In this episode, we're going to dive specifically into discussing the benefits of contraceptives specific to adolescents, as well as specific concerns that folks have regarding contraceptives. Contraception use in this population. Faye and I are delighted to be joined today by Dr. Nicole Tyson. Dr. Tyson is an associate member of the Committee on Contraception for FIGO, as well as the Division Chief of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Tyson.
3: Thank you. Thank you both for having me. It's fun to hear your familiar voices from your (laughs) career.
0: Well, Dr. Tyson, it's a delight for us to have you here. So let's jump right into this uh, very exciting topic. Of course, we know that contraception can be used to prevent unplanned pregnancies in teens, but are there other benefits for them as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is just a great, timely
3: topic. Uh, We know that girls start their periods around 11 to 12. So if you do the math, not to torture you, um, but people who menstruate will have 456 periods over 38 years. Um, So that's over six years, it's six and a quarter years of life spent bleeding. So obviously, this takes a toll, period, (laughs) like play on words, but it just (laughs) takes a toll. But it's even worse for young people and older people who have bleeding disorders such as von Willebrand's or other coagulopathies. And unfortunately, in my world, these coagulopathies often just present when first people are starting their period, so menarche. Uh, The other things to think about are primary dysmenorrhea and secondary dysmenorrhea, like endometriosis, which truly impact people's lives, quality of lives, days of school missed, activities missed. So just thinking about all of the menstrual benefits to using contraception beyond preventing pregnancy is we can reduce anemia. We can manage this abnormal bleeding in our teens due to their HPO access, trying to mature as they get older. And we know that hormonal methods are just great for reducing menstrual bleeding as we try to uh, menstrually suppress or to control cycles in these patients with bleeding disorders.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think Faye and I have talked previously um, about sort of the non-contraceptive benefits of hormonal contraception. Um, so I'm curious about sort of the common problems that we think about in an adolescent population outside of menstrual issues, things like headaches, cysts, acne. Uh, does birth control help with these kinds of things as well? Yeah,
3: I mean, absolutely. It seems like I spent a lot of my time being a cheerleader um, for birth, con- birth control, contraception beyond birth control, because it does, you know, it suppresses ovulation, so it improves cyclic prog- problems that commonly occur due to that, you know, fun menstrual diagram of the hormonal fluctuations, such as PMS and PMDD, as well as helping people who struggle with menstrual migraines and things like catamenial se- seizures. Uh, the other thing is that teens like adults experience mid-cycle or ovulatory pain, sometimes we call middle schmerz. It helps prevent cyst formation and bleeding and spotting. So hormonal birth control is really key to helping with these cyclic problems that occur over and over and over. And not to forget the most important thing, which is acne for some teens. Um, it's a mainline, you know, mainstream first line option to help treat acne. And it's basically the estrogen containing contraceptive methods because they help improve and increase the sex hormone binding globulin, which then binds the testosterone or the androgens at the level of the skin and overall reduces the free testosterone and improves acne and not just facial acne, but the acne on your chest and your back. Uh, So a really key modality for teens who struggle with that
0: yeah, definitely important, and especially I think for teens and you know, some of the social problems that they may face. Um, not to discount you know, headaches and acne, which are obviously important, but you know, there are definitely other medical conditions that I think we worry about. So can contraceptives also help with other medical problems?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hormonal birth control is absolutely the mainstay of treatment for polycystic ovarian syndrome. Which is nice because I think we're getting to have more of these conversations and discuss what it is and, and helping patients beyond lifestyle change and and some of the uncomfortable conversations we can address the role of birth control, and we can also think about using them in patients as I mentioned who have seizure disorders. For some people, they don't have their first presentation of a seizure disorder until menarche, and even at that time, sometimes we can see worsening of seizures. And those are really those catamenial epilepsy. And what we see is Depo-Provera is one of the unique methods of hormonal birth control that really can actually decrease the frequency of seizures. We, we say basically it increases the seizure threshold, making it harder to have a seizure. The other place that hormonal birth control really comes into play is helping our patients with developmental disabilities as we can really help optimize minimizing their periods or getting rid of them altogether.
2: Oh, absolutely. And kind of to move on as well to sort of a rarer topic in this sphere, um, what about the use of hormonal contraceptives in adolescents who are at risk of cancer or whom have cancer?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a really common space that I work in in my specialty is we, you know, we see the menstrual concerns in people who have uteruses and have cancer really predispose them to having other confounding problems like exacerbating or even creating anemia. We think about patients who have cancer still have sex. And so these patients still should be counseled and talked to about what it means to become pregnant during cancer treatment and, and allow them and discuss with them options for reliable contraception. Uh, We, you know, we think a lot about preventing bleeding and then managing bleeding in patients who are undergoing uh, cancer treatment. And one thing I would definitely say, too, is we really do start to utilize more of these IUDs um, because it's that forgettable birth control. And we can absolutely use those in patients who are immunocompromised. So I think that's a really great place to talk, um, you know, a lot about it in the role of patients who have cancer. And um, The other place that I like to sort of leap to next is thinking about the benefits of hormonal birth control to prevent cancer. There's just so much misinformation about hormonal birth control and cancer, but we don't talk enough about the reality that hormonal contraceptives decrease ovarian and uterine cancer, so much so that we're seeing this huge international decrease in ovarian cancer, which is a joy because those are so hard to diagnose and get diagnosed so much later because there's not great screening. Um, we know both hormonal and copper IUDs have been shown to be protective and for, for endometrial cancer. There's been quite a few studies now talking about hormonal contraceptive reducing the risks of colorectal cancer, renal cancer, bladder, thyroid, and pancreatic cancers, as well as some lymphomas. I mean, I think some of the mechanisms can be the sort of resting of the gynecologic organs, but there's also some hypothesis that maybe we're inhibiting ovulation and inhibiting sort of these repeated mitotic events and overall reduction in cell proliferation. There's a lot of research going on in this arena. It's very exciting. And then I would say, you know, it wouldn't be a complete conversation if we didn't talk about the fears of hormonal contraception and the risk of breast cancer, And I think it's really important to look at all of these studies and think about um, the confounding factors, the uh, sort of unclear and inconsistent outcomes, because most population data today about the the hormonal contraceptives that we use in the last, you know, not 60 years ago, but today's contraceptive options really haven't demonstrated increased risk of breast cancer. And it it feels good to be able to tell our youngest patients that um, whose moms or families are coming in with that concern.
0: Thank you, Dr. Tyson. You mentioned now a little bit about, you know, the fears of birth control and hormonal contraception. So I wanted to ask a little bit more, especially in the age where everything is Googleable, everything is discoverable by the internet. um, How can we assuage our patients' fears about hormones and birth control?
3: Yeah, I mean, you're definitely speaking to an area that's near and dear to my heart because I do spend so much of my time processing what others have processed on the internet, which I know you you all have done too, right? Sort of the new Dr. Google and what they read and saw on um, TikTok now, right? So now we're also dealing with some TikTok counseling. And I don't typically dance, but um, I will dance to really talk about all the benefits of hormonal birth control and try to dismiss and dispel all these myths. I think it's such a disservice to our youngest patients. So there's just anecdotal stories, incorrect information, uh, bad intel. So one of the things I'll I'll sort of go through through some of them that I hear a lot of in my specialty, but I think it will be applicable to all people who prescribe and talk about birth control. So number one is this fear of short stature. I think that's just one. It's good to shout out and say the reality is, is we don't start hormonal birth control until someone's had a period. So we want to know make we want to make sure the system's intact, you know, the brain, the uterus, the vagina, there's no obstruction, things are working. By that time, that child, that individual has already acquired over 90%, 95% actually of their final height. So there's really little to be gained once menarche has started. They're already making their own estrogen and studies have really demonstrated that to be true that there's no decrease in height attainment for people who start hormonal birth control. Um, so I think that that's something I hear a lot, is particularly from you know parents who want their kids to be premier athletes, and they need that extra couple inches. Um, Another fear that is super prevalent, and I think these are ones I encourage everyone to ask, it's sort of the elephant in the room, is that the parents in the teens fear that once they start birth control, it's going to make them infertile, or they just won't be able to have babies later when they want to. And what what we know, and we counsel, and we repeatedly say, and like I said, cheerlead, is all hormonal contraception is reversible. So we, we talk about studies showing fecundity, which is our fancy word for the ability to get pregnant in any given month and sort of returning it. Their fecundity after stopping birth control returns to the same age match cohorts of people who weren't using birth control. So other studies also demonstrate over and over again that pregnancy rates between people who have used birth control and those who've never used birth control are the same. And in fact, there's some data that show it might even be better than people who've been using birth control because maybe there's been this bonus inadvertent treatment for undiagnosed endometriosis, preventing inflammation. Or we know progesterones help reduce the risk of STDs or STIs and PID, although we don't talk about it too much because we want people to have safe sex and use protection. But there is some hostile cervical mucus to be had there. So there are some undiscussed benefits to fertility by using birth control not the other way around. And I would say the last one that I know everybody is like why is this not being brought up first is weight gain. And so I think that's a big that's a big issue internationally. That's not just something in you know one neck of the woods, but there's really been no causal relationship. People who use hormonal birth control gain the same or even lose the same as their cohorts who don't use birth control. I think the space we have to acknowledge that there may be some increased risk of birth control and weight gain correlation is Depo-Provera, but this might be more pronounced in this certain specific population who already struggle with weight and appetite compared to those who don't. So there is some role for healthy counseling about exercise and diet and appetite if a patient is preferring to use Depo-Provera and sort of approaching that shared decision making pathway you know, as we think about what's the best option and their concerns.
2: Well, this has been extremely informative and given us some additional food for thought. Um, Dr. Tyson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your expertise with the audience of Figo.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me. Any chance I get to cheerlead for helping our younger patients, I'm happy to do so.
0: And for all of you listeners out there, if you want some references in addition to this podcast, you can go ahead and go on to um, cancer and contraception from the SFP guidelines. We also recommend the ACOG Committee Opinion 735, um, implants and intrauterine devices, as well as contraception for adolescents from AAP. And you were listening to the podcast on adolescent contraception from the International Federation of Gynecology and Obstetrics. Please don't forget to visit their website at www.figo.org for more information.